Good news, Lakers score 142 points. Bad news, Spurs score 143. Lakers offense looked better. They were able to move the ball. They hit threes. The bad news, that defense or lack thereof. There were nine games in the NBA last night, but there was only three that really stood out for me. The Bucks and how they beat the Knicks, the Magic beating the Celtics 93-90, and the Lakers losing in overtime to the Spurs in an exciting game, 143-142. Here's the thing. If you're a LeBron fan, you look at the numbers, you point to the fact that he hits the big three from deep to send the game into overtime, and you say, what more can he do? He put up numbers. He led his team. And that's a fair point. And really, from an offensive standpoint, if you're a Laker fan, in the bigger scheme, beyond being a LeBron fan, there's nothing to be upset about. If you told me the Lakers was going to shoot just under 40% from three, You take that all day long. If I told you the Lakers were going to score 142 points, you'd say they're going to win that game. Book it. And yet the problem with the Lakers is, yes, there will be struggles with the shooting because there's some inconsistent shooters taking shots. Kuzma is a great catch and shoot shooter. Not so much when he's trying to do it off the bounce. Same for Josh Hart. You get Josh Hart in rhythm, and he is a high-percentage three-point shooter. The problem with the Lakers, more than offense, is their defense. They're not stopping anybody. And it's not just, well, they don't have a lot of size on the inside. Yes, that is an issue when you're going up against a talented scoring big man, like last night when they were trying to deal with LaMarcus Aldridge. But they're not doing anything defensively on the perimeter as well. And to me, if you can't control the wings, you can't really stop anybody because this is a perimeter-driven league. LeBron went for 32-14-8, and that's impressive. But so did DeMar DeRozan. And then LaMarcus Aldridge adds 37-10 with five assists. Rudy Gay chipped in with a 16, and he hit a big three late right in LeBron's face. You've got to close out. If I've got a complaint about LeBron and the rest of the Lakers, it's their defense. It's their inconsistent effort on defense. Now, LeBron is not a great one-on-one defender. He just isn't. Not anymore. Not at this stage of his career, and he hasn't been the last couple of seasons. Can he play defense at a high level in spots? Sure. But usually he does that against guys who don't have live handles. He's better with basic handle players. I would call them a deliberate handle. But he's not going to guard anybody that has live handle. He just isn't. And I thought for sure he'd have no problem guarding Rudy Gay because obviously with age and the injuries, Rudy Gay is nowhere near as athletic as he once was. He can't put the ball on the deck like he could when he was younger. But he can shoot. And he can shoot from distance. And yet he was open consistently the entire night. And I think that's the issue. 
you don't have to be a great one-on-one defender, and I'm talking about through that Laker roster, to be a good team defense. You've heard it before, help the helper. If you show and recover, and you definitely have to show and recover in this era where everything is played out on the perimeter, everything is played around that three-point line. If you show and recover, if you go under or over, knowing who the shooter is, depending on who the shooter is, if DeMar DeRozan is at the three-point line more times than not, you're not going to go over because he's just not a great three-point shooter. He's a driver. He's a rim attacker. But if Patty Mills is playing pick and pop, you're going to go over. You're going to get run him off that three-point line. You're going to run Rudy Gay off that three-point line, Bryn Forbes off the three-point line. You want Marco Bellinelli to put the ball on the deck. And I'm not making excuses. The Spurs played well offensively. They're just a better team in terms of their offense, their system. They're better coached. And it seemed like they got whatever they wanted. It was an exciting game. And I'm not one of those people that gets caught up in the Lakers are bad. There's no way they make the playoffs. They're 0-3, so it's a wrap. 79 more games to go. And maybe I'll cut that in half and say, look, by the time we're 35 games or so into the season, if they're 9 or 10 games below 500, they're not going to make the playoffs. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think this team... This currently constructed team will still make the playoffs. And I know my my initial thought about this Lakers team in terms of their ceiling, I thought they would be somewhere between a four or five. I'm not getting off of that. And they may very well make a move to get a shooter. A lot of people say they need to get a big. I think they need another shooter. The truth of the matter is, A young man that they activated last night gave them great energy, Jonathan Williams. I thought he played lights out for them in spot moments. In 13 minutes, Williams gave them eight points, four rebounds, and three blocks. So the answer isn't to go out and look for a big. Maybe the answer is as simple as giving that young man more playing time. I thought... Once Williams was in there, the defense was more lively. I thought his effort was infectious. It made other guys step their game up a little bit defensively. And while the score doesn't show it, the Lakers were able to get a couple of stops that allowed them to get back in it and to get into position to go into overtime. And I know today everybody's talking about a couple of bad possessions in overtime and how LeBron missed those two free throws. Yes, Those are bad misses. And your best player has got to step to that line and make those free throws. And I think the next time he's in that situation, that's what he'll do. You're going to hear people today say, well, he's never been clutch and he's always been bad at the free throw line. Has he missed late game free throws before? He has. Has he made late game free throws before to help clinch and seal the deal? He's done that as well. There are no perfect players. Even the very best players, they miss shots. Sometimes they miss free throws. I know we look back and we don't want to think that Magic Johnson missed free throws or that 
James Worsley missed free throws or that Larry Bird might have missed a shot or a free throw late in the game. It's happened. Michael Jordan has missed free throws. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen that often. But did it happen? It absolutely happened. Let's not get caught up in the moment. Let's not go the Skip Bayless route because I'm sure that Skip Bayless is smiling today. And I'm sure he feels on set. He's going to be humble and he's going to talk and he's going to say, I'm not happy. You know, I love LeBron. He's going to say all these things to build up to the backhanded compliment. And he goes, but he's not clutch. And he's going to go back to his old thing, the chosen one and the frozen one. If you've heard it a thousand times. And then Shannon will go on a rant with that Southern drawl. And he'll talk about Hen and Yak and Black and Miles. And when he feels like he might be losing the debate, he'll say, what about 1987 when Jordan missed a free throw and they lost in a regular season to somebody? That's all going to happen. But to me, offensively, I saw some promise. I'm not one of those people that get caught up and what happened within one game? I saw some positives, and there's things you could probably build off of offensively. But if you're bad defensively, I don't care how many how much numbers you put up. If you're bad defensively, if you can't end a defensive possession, even when you make them miss, you're not going to win games. A lot of people think that Kyle Kuzma is better than Brandon Ingram. So let me give them a little perspective. Put them side by side. Brandon Ingram has more upside. He's more naturally talented. But is Kyle Kuzma a better shooter than Brandon Ingram? Yes. In catch and shoot situations, Kyle Kuzma is a better shooter. Can he put it on the deck better than Brandon Ingram? No, he cannot. But he has improved that ability. Is Kyle Kuzma the better defender? No, it's not even close. He doesn't play defense very well at all, even when he tries. Brandon Ingram, a much better defender and a much better creator. Although in Kuzma's case, nine times out of 10, he's not passing to anybody. Kyle Kuzma may be the more finished product. Remember, he's almost three years older than Brandon Ingram. So while I like Kyle Kuzma, I don't think he's the more gifted player, but I do think he's the more ready-made player and he might be a better fit in that starting lineup. I'm not saying don't start Brandon Ingram. Start them both. They're both 6'9". Become more versatile. Slide Ingram over to the two. But what I am saying is this Laker team, it was an exciting game. And it's weird, right? A team that's 0-3, most of the time you just write them as just a bad team. All three of their games have been interesting. They haven't been able to finish because they can't get stops. And until they get stops defensively, they're going to struggle. But I'm a big picture guy. By the end of the year, they will be a four or five seed and they're going to win a first round series. Yada, yada, yada. You know where I'm going with that. Let's swing over to Boston. Celtics lose to the Magic 93-90. And what did I say was going to be a problem? And it, it is a problem. Their rotation They've got nine guys, nine legitimately talented guys. Now, obviously, some are talented, more talented than others, but all of these guys want to shoot the ball. And Boston is all about defense, and their defense is still playing at a high level, but Jalen Brown wants to shoot the rock, as does Jason Tatum, as does Kyrie, and Gordon Hayward, and Morris, and Marcus Smart, and, and 
you can tell there's a lack of chemistry and a cohesion. And it's not about talent. It's not even about effort. Brad Stevens is going to have to make a choice on pecking order. This idea that suddenly Kyrie Irving is going to become a guy that takes 10 or 11 shots a game, that's not going to work for him. If, if you're going to tell Kyrie to go to 10 or 12 shots a game, you might as well trade him now. What I think is going to have to happen is you have to establish. I know initially they brought Gordon Hayward to be or to pair with Kyrie is to be like the second option on that team. But no one knew that Jason Tatum was going to rise the way he has. And I look at how Jason Tatum's playing, and I know Hayward is still coming back from that injury. But I think Jason Jason Tatum might have established himself as no worse than the second option, if not the number one option. So I think the rest of those guys, and some of these guys are a little bit older, like an Al Horford and Morris, they're going to have to find their ways to be effective and impactful without getting as many shots. When I look at what Milwaukee did versus the Knicks last night, and I know it's the Knicks, but this is a young team. They play with a lot of energy. What's impressive about Milwaukee is, no, it's not that Giannis went for 31 and 15 or that or that Chris Middleton went for over 30. Saw that coming. Chris Middleton, one of the most underrated players in the NBA. What was impressive about what, what happened in the Milwaukee game was Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe had 16 points. But more importantly, he had 13 assists. I don't think Eric Bledsoe has played this well in terms of being an actual floor general or a point guard or running a team in his entire NBA career. I'm not saying he's got to get 13 assists a night, but if he could just get anywhere close to that seven or eight assists a night and be more of a facilitator and be sound defensively like he was last night, then Milwaukee is going to be a lot better than I anticipated. Again, I don't know if he can sustain this, but if he can, to go what you're going to get from Giannis and Middleton, not to mention Mr. Solid, Mr. Do-Everything, Malcolm Brogdon, then Milwaukee's going to be a problem. Two things you got to know, fam. One, I'm a little under the, the weather. I'm not feeling my best. Maybe it's the change in the season. I'm just not feeling my best, but hey, I'm a soldier on. Got to keep putting out this content. Want to keep connecting because this is something I love to do. And two, if you hear a little bit of snoring or wheezing in the background, it's not me or a member of my immediate family. Although we do have five dogs on our, of our own. Um, we've got three pet sitting dogs and one of them is a beast of a snorer. So bear with me. Anyway. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to get caught up on your questions now some of you don't make questions some of you actually just make statements but you know what i'm going to put them on there and i'm going to respond to them because i I, i'm going to be true to my word and get caught up so i'm going to do five questions today five questions tomorrow and so on till i get caught up much love here we go d says are there any rookies that are under the radar that we've slept on that might break out this season. I like Miles Bridges of Charlotte. I think he's sneaky talented. I think the guy can put the ball on the deck. He can shoot. He's got size. I think he's somebody that's kind of under the radar. I also like the addition of 
Dante DiVincenzo by the Bucks. I think by midseason, he's going to have a bigger impact, be a bigger part of their rotation. So those are two guys that I'd watch. Wes P, which of the faves? Uh, oh, I know what you're saying. Which of the favorites might disappoint? If I were going to say of the favorite teams, that's what you're talking about. It it would probably be, if I had to guess, it, in my opinion, Boston. Not because of talent, not because of effort. Not even because of the addition of Kawhi Leonard, which, by the way, looks seamless in Toronto. Like, Toronto doesn't look like just the best team in the East. They look like the best team in the NBA. I'm, I'm just telling you, four games in, this is not prisoner in a moment. This is just saying what they look like. It doesn't mean if they played the Warriors that they wouldn't get waxed. But judging by the way both teams are playing right now, if they played like right now, they wouldn't get waxed. It'd be interesting. But the Toronto Raptors, they have a chemistry. I think they realize that as talented and as gifted as DeMar DeRozan is, what Kawhi can provide them on the other end of the floor, it's a difference maker. It makes a big difference. Not to mention what Danny Green can provide for you on on the other end of the floor. It makes them different. Because they have a couple of young men that are really talented defensive wing players, but they're both non scorers. So when you've got a Danny Green who can catch and shoot from three, you've got a Kawhi Leonard who's a primary scorer, not to mention a lockdown defender and a candidate for defensive player of the year every year, you're a completely different team. Not to mention you got Sergi Baca looking like Sergi Baca from about four years ago. Can he sustain that? Because Serge is a young man. He's only 29. I know he 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 looks and moves like he's 39 or 40 the last couple of years, but but he looks like he's rejuvenated. And if he can sustain that along with the additions and what they've done, Toronto's going to be interesting. So of the favorites, at least in the East, I think the Celtics might be in some trouble if they can't find out a rotation and, and blend certain groupings together that work together, playing off each other. Because right now, they seem to be struggling offensively. Uh, number three, Big Will says, Will there be a blockbuster trade this year? Yes. And I'm not talking about Jimmy Butler if he eventually gets traded. I think there will be a big trade this season. I think one of the contenders or one of the teams that are on the verge of contending will make a move. And I think the team I'm looking at is Boston. And if I'm going to look at another team, I'm not sure I could call the Lakers a contender. Obviously, they're 0-3. But I think the Lakers might still end up making a move. I don't think this is what their roster will be like, or it won't be the same roster by season's end. Number four, Fab Lou says, I think the Bucks will have a deep playoff run. I think if Eric Bledsoe can be that third guy and can be the point guard that I've seen him be, at least early in the season, not to mention the way he's played defense. He hadn't played defense like this since he was on the Clippers. Along with what Middleton can do, along with Giannis, and then I said again, the young man DiVincenzo, yes, I, I don't know if a, if you mean a deep playoff run like they're going to the conference finals, I'm going to say no, but they, could they get to the conference semis and make that a tough fight? Yes. I'm going to get this right. George, Georgina. 
I think Ben Simmons is overrated and Embiid will get hurt and the Sixers will go nowhere. Um, I don't think Ben Simmons is overrated. I think he's a very talented young man. And anybody that can average 16 points, nine rebounds and nine assists, shoot over 50% from the floor with no type of jump shot at all. You're not overrated. You're unique. Now, the question for me would be if he doesn't develop a jump shot, and, and I'm not saying he won't, but if he doesn't, then his ceiling won't be as high. For them to go to another level, yes, they need some of their other players to come along and develop, like Sarge and, of course, Markel Folks. But if Ben Simmons is going to be an elite player, a superstar, talented player like he, he's talented. But if he's going to be a superstar and a difference maker and help them be not a playoff contender, but a title contender, he's got to develop a consistent mid-range shot. If he doesn't, when the playoffs roll around and it becomes more of a grind than a half court game and it's about half court execution and he doesn't have any type of jump shot, the Sixers are going to be a first round exit. Um, one more question. So, look, you know what? Look at me doing bonus questions. Lee says, best big man in the NBA is, well, um, if you mean big from the standpoint of the guy that actually plays the five primarily, I think it's Djokovic. I think it's Joker. I think Joker is the best big man if, if you're talking about guys who primarily play the five, I think it's Joker. Djokovic, you can run your offense through him. He can give you 25, 30, 12 rebounds, eight or nine assists, can step out, has a mean post game, and he's only going to get better. He's 23. Now, if you're talking about just who's the best big and they're all around seven feet tall or and they play the four or five, in that situation... I'm going to go, of course, with Anthony Davis. Facebook fam, appreciate it. Again, I'm on a mission. I am going to get caught up. I promise you that. Um, because if I don't, I, I think y'all going to stop hitting me back. So book that. Um, tomorrow's show, we'll get into the NFL. I didn't really watch the Monday Night Football game. I had no desire to because I thought it would be a boring game. What I know is the Giants lost, and if I'm being honest, I knew they were going to lose before the game. Uh, I'm not watching as much football as I have in years past just because it, it, with, with the exception of watching Kansas City play and watching the Rams play, it's not that exciting. And yes, I will watch the Saints game because Drew Brees has been a technician. He's been a beast for over a decade. He's just an amazing football player. So I'll watch a Saints game and I'll watch the Rams play because I love golf. I love Todd Gurley, I love that crew. Love watching Tyreek Hill. Love watching Mahomes. I love that offense. I mean, the Chiefs under Mr. Andy Reid, I don't know if they're the greatest show on turf on that level, but they're pretty close. It's the Cypher. Next time, fam.